Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and in case you haven't worked it out, The Switzer Show is about one very, very simple goal and that is for us to make you richer. And today we're going to be talking to Julia Lee from Bell Direct. I thought it was a perfect person to talk to. This is the day when the Royal Commission recommendations for the financial institutions of Australia, those recommendations come out. They, they've already been handed to the government. Uh, the government and Labor will have to respond, and that could have a very big impact on the stock market. Um, a lot of people are surprised that the market is up actually today before ahead of the uh, recommendations becoming public. Uh, Julia will explain why, and, and hopefully the recommendations aren't as bad as we think. Maybe... Maybe the market could go for a nice surge high because the bank stocks are really important when it comes to the ASX 200 index or the All Lords, which we quote in the media every day. And also, Julia will share with us her hot stock for 2019, the one that she believes looks like really good value right now. And then we'll talk to, I guess, the best known PR person in Australia, a guy by the name of Max Marks. And Max is the guy who brings out people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, Stephen Seagal. Any famous person you know, Max invariably has his fingerprints all over that person coming out to Australia. I'll not only find out how he does it, but how he came to be in PR and how he's created one of the most memorable PR businesses in the history of Australian business. That's the show for today. But without any further ado, let's go to Julia Lee. Julia Lee, thanks for joining us on the Switzer Show. A pleasure, Pete. Okay, now a lot of people would be wondering why the stock market was actually up before we actually get the recommendations from the Hain Royal Commission. Well, the stock market's been a bit of a, a mixed bag today. We've seen AMP shares hitting an all-time record low, IOOF shares down by 5%. But on the flip side, the big four banks have been gaining and reversed earlier losses, and we're actually seeing gains of more than 1% for the big four banks. Having said that, you know, the past 52 weeks have been very difficult for those stocks which have been impacted by the Royal Commission. We've seen stocks like Freedom Insurance down by 96% over the past year. We've seen stocks like AMP down 59%, IOOF down 55%, Clearview down 43%, and the big four banks losing up to 20% over the last 52 weeks. So, look, a lot has been priced in and some of the big four banks have already been moving to separate some of their wealth businesses uh, from their normal banking operations as well. But I suspect there might be some short covering in terms of the big four banks. There has been a rise in short positions ahead of this final uh, report into the Royal Commission on Financial Services. And short covering just basically means that 
um, people in the market are betting that the shares will go down. So their first transaction is selling the shares and they buy back the shares later. And of course, if a lot of people are buying back the shares later, then that buying pressure causes share prices to go up. So you're saying that the people who might have already made money out of shorting the banks now might be taking cover just in case this report is not as bad for the banks. I think it's all about risk management, so they are probably taking some money off the table and buying back positions. But also, once it is known um, what the impact of the final report is going to be, the market can price that in a bit more accurately. So there is still some risk ahead of that final report, but once that report is out, I think investors can get a gauge of what the impacts are likely to be, and generally it's thought that perhaps the worst will be over depending on what impacts there will be and what extra regulation may come to pass. Now, you gave us a list of the financial institutions uh, which have really copped at AMP, 59%. IWF was at 55%. Um, 55%. Yeah, now, and uh, a couple of other uh, lesser-known uh, organisations. Is this a reflection of the fact that it looks like their behaviour has been worse compared to, say, the bank's and therefore, we're expecting the punishment factor to come out of the Royal Commission to be tougher on those organisations? Well, I think the biggest impact have been in terms of some of those companies that are selling uh, wealth products, whether it be insurance or other wealth products. And with the big four banks, although they are sellers of the wealth products, at their core, they have their banking products as well, which means that less of their earnings have, as a percentage are impacted compared to, say, something like Freedom Insurance, which purely sold um, insurance products. So, look, the banks, um, they have a much more diversified model. So while some areas of uh, the big four banks will be heavily impacted, uh, other areas might be immune, and that that that's reflected in the share price action that we've seen over the last 52 weeks. Yeah, so um, let's just look at the... The prime reason, you, you give given numbers for like AMP and IOWF, the banks are down around 20%. Uh, is it all Royal Commission or can we also factor in concerns from overseas, for example? If Donald Trump over the, the month of February cracks a very good deal for trade, is that likely to help our, our banks' um, share prices? Oh, look, the share price action we've seen, a part of it has been all Royal Commission. For example, Freedom Insurance being down 96%. Its business model was is just unsustainable um, in the current environment. That's why uh, the shares have been sold down so much. But I think in terms of uh, the banks, we've seen other factors at play as well, and that is a slowing housing market that has been impacting um, on the banking space. I mean, to, to give you an idea of how tough it is for the banks in their core business, of banking at the moment. Back in 2015, investor property loans were growing at around about 10%. It's now around about 1%. And with the risk that the Royal Commission uh, final report may involve impacts which slow lending down even further in the slow term, in the short term, I guess that's what the market is uh, worried about. Having said that, these conditions aren't going to last forever. Banks do tend to be cyclical. So I guess when we are at the lows of the cycle, that's when longer term investors should look at picking up something like the banks because they're not going to disappear as a group. No, and an interesting point you make is that, you know, um, lending has been 
curtailed or made harder or more restricted since um, the, the Royal Commission. Also, we've seen that um, the US Federal Reserve has promised to be patient on raising interest rates. Now, has that had any impact on the interest rate outlook for Australian banks? I think here in Australia, we have been a bit more domestically focused, um, especially for the big four banks, uh, with them being uh, very much inward looking. I guess if we have a look at the big four banks, the biggest way that they're impacted by uh, global factors or what's happening in the US is through their funding costs. And mm. their funding costs have been rising, so that has been an impact. But they have managed to offset that through some degree through the repricing of their loan books. And we have seen the big four banks raising rates on their uh, home loans uh, regardless of what the Reserve Bank is doing. And that's because they do rely on overseas funding um, in order to fund those home loans. So, look, there has been an impact there. Generally, you'd say that a rising interest rate environment tends to be better for the banks because it gives them a better opportunity to reprice books. Um, however, we've seen the big four banks repricing independently of the Reserve Bank. But, Pete, it's going to be a massive day for the financial sector tomorrow, not only because it'll be the first chance that it gets to react to the final report of that Royal Commission into Financial Services, but also because it's the first Reserve Bank meeting of the year on interest rates. And with the Reserve Bank having predicted um, economic growth of about 3.5%, that's looking a touch optimistic. So all eyes are going to be not only on the financial sector and the reaction to the final report tomorrow, but also to that Reserve Bank decision. And then on Wednesday, you'll see Commonwealth Bank, which is coming out with its half-year numbers and no doubt uh, plenty of commentary on how that uh, final report of the Royal Commission impacts on them. Yeah, and, and look, I guess another important relevant question is that if we b believe that the US Federal Reserve is going to be patient on raising interest rates and, and you touched on the cost of funds, does that sort of make you feel as though the chances of the cost of funds going up for Australian banks is less likely or will they be driven by the foreigners' views on the vulnerability of the banks? Uh, I guess at the margin, uh, we the the marginal buyer of the banks are overseas investors, and generally the Aussie dollar tends to have a large impact there. That is, that if the Aussie dollar is moving up while they're invested here, that's what they want to see. They don't want to see the Aussie dollar falling while they're invested here because they see negative impacts from the currency. So a lot of the time when foreign investors do enter into the Australian market and perhaps have a play on the Aussie dollar or where they see the Aussie dollar going, they will put their money in uh, some of the blue chips like the big four banks or Telstra or maybe even BHP Billiton. So those type of stocks tend to be heavily swayed by um, overseas investors' sentiments, not only around those stocks but also around the Aussie dollar and they want to see the Aussie dollar rising while they're invested here. And what do you think the A dollar is going to do over the course of 2009? <laughs> I know it's a hard one but you have to have an opinion. Sure. Um, I guess the Aussie dollar is dependent on the interest rate differential and if the US stays on hold in terms of interest rates or sees one more rise while the Reserve Bank uh, holds and there's the, the threat of perhaps another interest rate cut um, 20 months down the track, then that's likely to keep the Aussie dollar relatively low here. Yeah, around current levels. Okay, Julia, I guess one last question I have to you is, generally speaking, um, yeah, and, I, and I think there are probably four uh, in, uh, 
make or break factors for the stock market at the moment. One is this uh, Royal Commission um, recommendation. Secondly, the responses of both the government and Labor. So, uh, thirdly, the Trump trade deal and whether the Fed remains on hold or remains patient on interest rates. Your feeling for 2019, um, do you think stocks are going to be heading up over 2019? Look, I think investors do have to be more nimble. I think there's plenty of opportunities out there given that 2018 was such a terrible year for stocks. Um, But having said that, uh, I think that the risks are rising. And look, when the risks are rising, there are always sectors and stocks that do tend to outperform when there is volatility in the market. And one of the stocks that I like at the moment is Insurance Australia Group. Despite having seen a whole lot of extreme weather events, generally uh, these things do tend to be cyclical. And in, in investors' minds, when we do see a whole lot of extreme weather events, they think that this is going to happen all the time. But we usually see a bit more of a normalized after extreme events. And look, Insurance Australia Group is looking pretty attractive here, both in terms of the growth prospects as well as um, what it's doing in terms of reinsurance and also how it's performing relative to some of its peers. So I think that one's going to be an outperformer in 2019. Julia, as always, great insights. Thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Thanks, Steve. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? And remember, when we talk about our interest rates being 3.89%, that is both our headline or advertised rate and our comparison rate. When you're looking for loans, always make sure that you ask what is the comparison rate because that builds in the fees and charges that go on top of the advertised rate. Sometimes you'll find that a rate might be 4%, but with fees and charges, it's actually 4.5%. So make sure you always ask that. And now it's time to go to our next guest, Max Markson, who is the founder of Marks and Sparks. Max Markson, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. My pleasure, Peter. Good to be with you. Now, now Max, I always wonder, how do you get people like... Arnold Schwarzenegger and Steven Seagal and, and and you can throw in some more famous people that get you to promote them when they come here. Well, if I'm doing it myself and I'm just putting a lot of money up and offering them a million dollars or or that sort of that sort of cash to come and do a tour, otherwise uh, there's another promoter putting the money up and they're employing me to do the publicity for the tour. Yeah, but on the same point, there are a lot. Of, you've got a lot of rivals out there. Why does someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger want to do it with Max Markson? What do you think is your competitive advantage? Um, I think it's a trust thing once you do work with somebody. I was privileged in, in 2013 to organise. Uh, I did the contracts and deal for Arnold Schwarzenegger to come over here and did, did three engagements in three days. We did Perth, uh, Melbourne, and Sydney, and I looked after him from where to go. And about a month 
two months earlier, had gone to Los Angeles to meet with him, and we'd organized uh, an hour of media. We'd done advanced media out of a, a studio in Los Angeles by satellite TV interviews for Channel 7, 9, 10, etc. And, and then I got on with him. And so then uh, he wanted to do the Arnold Sports Classic here. Uh, Tony Doherty, I put him in contact with Tony Doherty. And now Tony Doherty does this enormous event called the Arnold Sports Festival. It's at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre in the middle of March, 15th to 17th in 2019. 70,000 people come along. And uh, I'm very privileged that Arnold and Tony employ me to do the publicity and, and look after Arnold Voice here. Okay, so I guess the question is, yeah, who in the hell is Max Markson? And how did you end up in a public relations business like the one you've got right now? Is, is, it, is it still called Marks and Sparks? It sure is. I started in 1982 uh, here in Sydney with Marks and Sparks. But uh, the, my story probably goes back a little bit further. My father uh, was a high diver and he used to have an aqua show. Uh, with synchronized swimmers and divers in, in Bournemouth in England. And I finished up uh, when I was a kid, like I was seven or whatever, being the spotlight operator, and I go bill posting with him. So that's how I started doing promotions and promoting uh, or learning that business. And then my father, unfortunately, died when I was 15. And I then worked at a nightclub in Bournemouth, and I started promoting at the nightclub BBC radio and disc jockeys and pop groups. And then I came here when I was 21 years old for a holiday and stayed. And I, I had a night. Sorry. Yeah, go on, that's fine. Yeah, go for it. I had a nightclub at King's Cross called the Zoo, and I was the head zookeeper. <laughs> I put a different personality <laughs> right. on each week. My mother still thinks I ran a, a zoo. Um, then I put a, a, a different celebrity on as guest DJ each week. People like Brooke Shields, Evil Knievel, George Hamilton, Jeff Boycott, Dennis Lilly. And then I worked for a radio station for a couple of years, and then I started my business up. And I started just doing publicity and promotion work, which I still do to this day. Max, obviously a lot of people who are listening to this uh, have their own business or aspire to have their own business. And clearly you, you establish at a young age an ability to get through to people. Like when the zoo was a, a, a new nightclub at the time, uh, or did we call it a disco in those times, um, you, you were getting big names. So how does someone called Max Markson, who is relatively unknown, get through to big names like that? I just think you just ask. The worst that they can say is no. And I really believe that in life. And I, and I, I remember about well, 15, 16 years ago, I did an event for President Clinton uh, and in New Zealand, and we, we raised some money for his foundation. And they told me about a guy called Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe raised hundreds of millions of dollars for President Clinton's election campaigns. He went on to be the governor of Virginia. And I, at the time, it wasn't at that time. And I said, can I meet with him? And I was in New York. And I finished up, they organized for him to meet with me. And I said to him, how do you raise money? And he said, just ask. The worst they can do is say no. And I said, I believe that with celebrities or personalities or anything. You just have to ask. The worst that can happen is somebody will say no. Have the confidence to say, please ask. Ask somebody something. The worst they can do is say no. Well, well Matt, uh, Max, obviously a lot of people have difficulty getting out of their comfort zone. And as Jim Rohn said many years ago, just about everything you want in life is just outside of your comfort zone. How did you learn to get outside of your comfort zone? Or were you born a sort of like a, a very self-confident, pushy human being? I think for me, it was when my father died when I was 15. That to me at the time was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. After that, I thought, 
well, what's the worst that can happen? I've had the worst that can happen. My father died. So after that, I just, you know, nothing ever worried me. And, and it still doesn't to this day. I mean, God forbid something dreadful happens. I just try and move on. You just, it's, it's what they all say. And they say, if you fall down 10 times, make sure you get up 11 times. Mm. And that's what it's about. Just keep moving. Persistence, enthusiasm, focus. Those are my three tips for success. Persistence, enthusiasm, focus. And if it comes down to one word, it's persistence. Just keep going. And Max, who have been your greatest business inspirations? Uh, I really admire John Singleton. I think he's great. And he's been very supportive of me over the years. Uh, there's a great, great quote from Jack Cowan. Jack Cowan owns Hungry Jacks and a uh, uh, chunk of dominoes. And he, he was quoted once as saying, don't wait for your boat to come in, row out to it. Mm. I think you just have to do stuff. You can't. And, you know, Schwarzenegger has five tips for success. And I'll be real quick with them. Yeah, go, one, you be as slow as you like. Yep. Okay. His five tips for success. One, have a vision. For him, he wanted to be a bodybuilder and a movie star. Two, think big. Not just any bodybuilder. He wanted to be the best bodybuilder in the world. Not just any movie star. He wanted to be a leading man in movies. Third, don't listen to the naysayers. So when he got to Hollywood, people said, oh, look at the shape of your body. Maybe you could be a, a soldier or bodyguard. And leading man in movies, you're never going to be a leading man in movies. Listen to your accent. You've got a German accent. No movie stars ever had a leading man in movies that have had a German accent. And what's your name? Schwarzschnitzel? That won't look any good on the posters. And he used all the disadvantages that he had to advantages. And his accent is now, you know, you hear that. Yeah, you know it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. You see that body, it's Schwarzenegger. And his fourth tip was work your ass off. And for him, he worked really hard when he was doing the movies. And he still works really hard. He's about 70-odd years old. Still travels the world like crazy. And the fifth one is give back. And for him, he chucked his movie career in to go into politics. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, in terms of um, your personal business learnings, because it, it isn't all just the, the fun of carting around big stars and, and, and stacking um, auditoriums with people. It's also running a business. And, and at, at your biggest, how many people did you employ? Well, once I've got about 20 staff there, that's have scaled back totally now. I just think it, it's like the, the uh, Picasso story. So this uh, American woman's walking along the beach in Monte Carlo and she says, oh, look, there's Picasso. Let's go and say hello. And they go over and say, Picasso, hi. He says, Madam, hello. He says, can you just draw me a sketch on that table uh, napkin? He says, certainly, Madam. He does a little sketch. There you are. So, oh, thank you, Picasso. So it'll be $50,000. $50,000? It took you 30 seconds how to do it. In. He says, I know it took me 30 seconds to do, but it took me 30 years to know how to do it in 30 seconds. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, as, as you get older, like, you become more experienced in how to do stuff and, and get stuff done. And, and that's, uh, I think, I don't need as many staff as I used to have. I can get it done. Yeah. And, and Max, what do you think has been the biggest mistake you made in business? And what did you learn from that? God, biggest mistake. I really couldn't say. Uh, off the top of my head, the biggest mistake. I don't know. Well, Max, <laughs> well, Max you know, I've known you for a long time and, and you, you have been a victim of what happens to a lot of family businesses that you and your wife broke up along the way. And that's always a, a tough thing to deal with, both emotionally and business-wise. Was, was that a, a, a business learning experience? 
I don't think I don't think of that as a mistake at all mm. in terms of business. Um, I know, maybe taking risks sometimes I take it too far, and uh, I've lost money in that sense. Um, maybe trusting people too much mm. that can be uh, uh, a mistake. But overall, I think I've been very fortunate. In, in business, there's ups and downs. You lose money, you make money. That's part of the game. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed my life. I am enjoying my life. I just put a book out at the end of last year called uh, On the Road with Bill Clinton, Nelson Mandela, Kim Kardashian, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it tells stories all about the uh, incredible people I've been blessed to have worked with uh, during the last 20 years. But that's years a very so. long title, Max. What's, what's the actual title? The, the actual title, I just said it to you. It's really? On the Road with Bill Clinton. Yeah. It goes, but then it goes, it goes, On the Road with Bill Clinton, and in small print, Nelson Mandela, Kim Kardashian, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Tony Blair, Al Gore, Mike Tyson, Pele, and more. It's <laughs> <laughs> still the longest title book in the history of titles, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's, it was shortened to On the Road with Bill Clinton. But, but well, it's, uh, it's a fun book. Well, well hang on. Why do you tell me that? I start thinking to myself, well, hang on, he's brilliant at promoting other people's businesses. I never, you didn't promote your book to me. I would have actually ran with it if I had known that book was that. What, what happened to your own? You well, you wouldn't it's pay yourself time. enough money to promote it. I did a bit of TV and I sent a few press releases out. <laughs> okay, radio. Well, 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 next time, yeah, think of me, Max. All right, now. Another important issue, and remember, I'm using you because I think you are a guy who's come out of nowhere. You've understood what your competitive advantage is. As Edward de Bono taught me many years ago, the real successful people understand what the competitive advantage is and they exploit it to, to the maximum. You know, if, if you had to give advice to anyone else out there, and I know you've already said persistence, but I, I want to link this to the fact that I know you're not necessarily an accountant. I know you're not necessarily a bookkeeper or an administration guru. Did you benefit from either having better people around you in areas where you felt that you were business weak? Look, Jack Welsh always says you've got to have people around you who are smarter than you are. So uh, did I have that? Probably not. But what I did have and I've always done is ask advice of people. Mm. I bounce ideas off people. I always discuss stuff. And I think that's helped me tremendously because, you know, as, as, as you know, even when you've got 20 staff, you're still a small business. I mean, but I always ask people all the time, what do they think about this? What do they think about that? So I get advice there. And I go to advice when, when you need it. You go to a lawyer or an accountant or you go to someone smarter than you are to, uh, to ask the advice. I think that's, that's something which, you know, whether you're the president of the United States of America and you surround yourself with smart people or whether you're just, you know, running a business when you're running a corner shop and you need somebody to advise you, speak to your wife, speak to your mates, just speak to people. And they'll, you'll soon get guided on where, where, you, where you're going right or wrong. Hmm. Even when I started my business up, I remember I was, uh, you know, rented like a little corner office with an ad agency called McCarthy, Watson and Spencer. And after a couple of months, uh, Wayne McCarthy came and said, how's it going? I said, well, I'm Got a lot of work on, but no money. He said, well, you've got to, what are you doing? So I do the work, then I invoice them. And they said, well, what you should do is ask them 50% up front before you start work. So that, I started that, and that fixed my cash flow straight away. Mm. Yeah, it is, it is amazing, Max, isn't it? When you do talk to people, they can just give you some fantastic observations, which you, you are totally missing, and it seems so obvious once you hear it. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I find that because I've had this incredible experience over the years of these events and, and I've done over 200 charity events and given over $40 million to charity that, you know, I, I bring to the table when I'm talking to people, especially promoters, ways to help them, you know, sell more tickets or to make the event more efficient or more effective or, or promote it better. Mm. So that's experience. And, and that happens all of us, whatever business we're in, we get experience from that. And if we need knowledge, well, now it's not on the internet, but I mean, but really just ask people, ask your friends, ask, ask your bank manager, your accountant, your solicitor, your lawyer, but ask. There's no harm in asking. And people love being asked for advice. Always have, always will be. One last question, Max. If you had to sort of evaluate how you've remained optimistic, even through tough business times, and we all go through tough business times, how do, how do you keep yourself you know, with your, your compass, focus on that, that very positive north? I'm just, I'm just I'm blessed to be alive. I think we're lucky to be in this country, especially. Like, it's not like we're in the middle of a war zone somewhere. I think we're just so lucky. And the sun's shining. You've got to remember, I grew up in England, where it's pretty dark. <laughs> it gets dark at four in the afternoon. It doesn't get light till eight o'clock the next morning some days. Mm-hmm. So I, I love this country. It's been fantastic to me. And I just, I'm naturally a positive, happy person. <laughs> Maybe that's why the celebrities like me. I sing and tell dreadful jokes all the time to them. Do you want a quick joke? Yes, of course. Did you hear that Kim Kardashian has found God? Now no. God is looking for somewhere else to hide. <laughs> okay, Max, on that s- subject, I will say thanks very much for joining us on The Switzer Show. And I'm, I know you've been very insightful for other people who aspire one day to build a business of your magnitude. Thanks for joining us, mate. My pleasure, Peter. Cheers. Well, that's Max Marks, and arguably one of the most famous people in PR in this country. And I think this interview does tell you a lot about what you need to do to have self-belief and to be able to promote the assets that you believe in. And that asset might be your business or it might be you as an employee. Thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Quentin time! Quentin time!